0: Um, Today's talk is essentially about a microcosm of Unitarian Universalism experiencing what we're also seeing in our country right now, and this is a drifting apart of people into opposing camps. And the inability to see good in someone on the other side of the spectrum, to, to say that someone with different ideas might still have those ideas and be a person of goodwill and honesty. And so that's really what I'm driving at, is how we, as a religion or an association, uh, whatever you want to call Unitarian Universalism, how are we going to deal with diverse ideas that, and ideas that are very strongly held and held to be dear and important, and then you encounter someone who has very different views to the point where you may even feel threatened, and what views are acceptable and what views aren't, and how we proceed from here. This is all driven by an event that occurred at General Assembly this year, which was in June, and we have some visitors, so General Assembly is our big annual get together. It was in Spokane, Washington, and I don't know how big of a deal this is outside of leadership, because I would not even have known about it unless I had read the weekly UU World news release that comes out on email. But there was a free copy of a book called The Gadfly Papers, which was written by Reverend Todd Eckloff of the Spokane Church, which was the host church for General Assembly, and He handed these out starting on Friday. I think General Assembly starts on Wednesday, so on Friday he had started handing these out, and by Saturday there were four different letters signed by, in total, hundreds of ministers, religious educators, and other leaders uh, condemning or denouncing the book. These groups include the Diverse and Revolutionary Unitarian Universalist Multicultural Ministries, or DRUM, The UUMA People of Color and Indigenous Chapter, Lareda, which is the Liberal Religious Educators Association, those who are our RE teachers at the various churches and congregations. And finally, a letter of individuals that identify themselves as white UU ministers, and 300 people had signed this letter as of Saturday, and 500 or more have signed it by now. Now, I have been studying this issue for the last six weeks. I've been online reading discussion groups, Reddit, um, Facebook groups. I've read the book twice. And mostly it's been a fairly depressing six weeks watching people get really angry at each other online. And I had pretty much come to the point where I figured online discussions are just not worth the effort that meaningful discussions have to be had face-to-face, and largely I still believe that, that when you lack that human interaction, it's very easy for things to get elevated and hot very quickly. I did find, however, that one group that was recently formed, like two weeks ago, I think, on Facebook, actually has moderators and is really trying to stamp down on any of the troll activities or hateful rhetoric and includes people from all across this spectrum of this discussion, including people who signed some of these letters explaining why they signed them and others who were against it. So there is at least one online group. If you want more information and want to follow this after today, um, that is out there. It's called the GADFLY Papers UU Book Discussion Group. And it's on Facebook, and you have to ask to join, and then they'll let you join. So if you're interested in this, that's the one and only place I would recommend going to, uh, to have a discussion that isn't filled with hateful rhetoric or anger or people just targeting each other. Something else that happened over these last six weeks is I haven't seen a lot of people, regardless of where you stand on the issues raised, That believes that someone on the other end of this argument can honestly hold these uh, views, be radically different from you, and still be acting both honestly and trying to do the right thing. That we, we almost, and this is human nature, we tend to fall into, well, I've studied this issue, I think this is the right way to proceed, and those who disagree with me are... At best, wrong, if not outright uh, the opposition, the enemy that has to be overcome, people who are just filled with hate or people who are ignorant or haven't studied this issue, and that grace to allow someone to hold a different view and, and still acknowledge that maybe those views aren't coming from a bad place. I didn't see a lot of that. And it was very depressing. I mean, that's just not what you want to see amongst fellow Unitarian Universalists or amongst people, period. And it it was not a pleasant time. And there were times where I said, I I don't even want to do this sermon. Um, This is not worth it. And for what it's worth, I'm not going to focus much on the book. I'm going to focus on the reaction and the way ahead. Um, I personally, just because people are going to wonder, I thought that the book raised some good questions. I thought it had some bad logical flaws in it. There are some things I disagree with, like splitting into Unitarians and Universalists again. I thought that whole essay made zero sense. He talks a lot about a event at a Lareda conference where a couple of men... Um, who were teaching nonviolent communication were actually asked to leave halfway through their presentation because it was causing a lot of uproar. People felt that it was racist and created by white people and oppressive. And, and the whole conference sounds like it was just a mess from beginning to end. It doesn't mean that the book presents everything by far. I've read some fascinating discussions from people who were there who added more stuff to it. And uh, it was just a lot of bad stuff going on at that conference, so I'm not even going to pretend that he covers that story adequately. On the other hand, there are questions he's raised that I think are very valid and worth discussing, and I'll, I'll give you a quick list, and then that's about what I'm going to do with this. First of all, after he had handed these books out, Saturday night he met, along with two members of his congregation, and this is Reverend Ekloff, Uh, with five members of the right relations team. This is a group that handles conflicts at General Assembly. They met for about 30 minutes. Nothing was resolved, no agreements were reached. He went home that night, received a call that they wanted to meet with him again the next morning at 7 a.m. He could not get neutral observers to be there with him, and so he declined. And because he declined, uh, they asked him to stay away from General Assembly, and he complied and stayed away. Um, And there was another invitation to meet with three members of the UU Minister Association, and again, he declined at that point, and he just did not come back to General Assembly. Uh, At the booth where his box of books were and were being handed out, uh, a box of books was confiscated by the Alliance for Racial Equality. This was not authorized by the UU Association, and the books were returned later. Uh, But we did have a situation of books being confiscated briefly, as well as people who were sitting at that table being yelled at and argued with for handing out the book. So it had raised a lot of anger. Briefly, and this is not a complete list, some of the things he says uh, which got people angry slash upset slash strongly disagreeing, uh, first of all, He argues that the controversies two years ago, which included uh, hiring practices which may or may not have been driven by racial preferences and or cronyism and or favoritism of ministers over non-ministers, this was pretty much decided to be driven by white supremacy culture, a phrase that has now become very common in the UUA as we try to eliminate racism, that's the phrase that's used, white supremacy culture. (coughs) Uh, He argues that that phrase in and of itself is a bad choice because it evokes images of neo-Nazis in the KKK. And to people who are outside of the academic world or outside of a deep study of racial studies, that phrase does bring to mind white supremacists like neo-Nazis in the KKK. Why are we using it? So he argues against that. He believes that Peter Morales, the uh, president who was either forced to resign or chose to resign a couple of years ago, he believes he was driven from office rather than simply resigning. Along with some other leaders at that time, um, large large severance packages were paid over five hundred thousand dollars to just a very few people. So much so that the incoming three presidents, because there were three, that uh, uh, replaced him until the next election. Uh, They actually tried to renegotiate these packages because they were outrageously high. So there were shenanigans going on. I don't know. And, you know, people have non-disclosure agreements. There's a lot we don't know about. But there was something going on there beyond people simply deciding to resign. Because you don't pay severance packages to people who just quit normally. There's usually more to it. He believes that the Unitarians and the Universalists, when they joined back in 1961, uh, it wasn't a good fit, and maybe it's time for them to split apart. Um, He argues that political correctness, and he uses a technical term for that, and says that that and identity politics are ripping us apart as a religion, as an association. He believes logic and reason need to be applied to current anti-racism efforts, and he argues that. In some cases, it's not. And he believes that there was an article in UU World about trans people that uh, was well-intentioned but ill-advised because it was not written by a trans person. And this was the first one that was going to be the feature article. And he says the attacks on it were excessive because it was well-intentioned. That's one of the things I largely disagree with him about. I do think it was probably the worst editorial decision in in the entire time I've been a Unitarian Universalist, um, if you're going to do a feature article about trans people, have a trans person write it. That is so commonsensical. And they, and the editor had been told, you're making a mistake. Uh, yeah, so it, he deserves whatever he got for that, I think. <laughs> uh, and again, the Lareda conference I mentioned. He also contrasts two views of racism. One is colorblind or hidden forms of racism, which he believes are prevalent in our society today. Far more subtle forms it's still racism, it's just not overtly expressed. And this is described by Eduardo Bonilla-Silva. And then there's also this theory of white fragility um, by Robin D'Angelo, which he thinks, he thinks is not argued well and is not backed by statistical data. While the first view of all of this uh, hidden forms of racism is backed by research. And he also contrasts their two definitions of white supremacy. So there you go. That's a list and there's plenty there that people are going to disagree with at the very least. He has been called for writing this racist, homophobic, transphobic, and filled with hate and he's been called this by other ministers. And so that's part of the reaction I'm going to talk about. I do want to read this one paragraph from his book. He says, Admittedly, the logic I've expressed in this article may not be without error and likely is not. I, too, am blinded by my emotions. The sadness, fear, and anger I sometimes feel about what's going on in my religion, no matter how much I've tried to remain objective by examining the logical form of the various arguments explored in this article. I, too... Listen here, because this is all of us. I, too, no doubt, succumb to confirmation bias, leading me to address the flaws in the thinking I disagree with while being unable to entertain its accuracies. But being wrong doesn't make one fundamentally flawed as a person, no more than being right makes one righteous. I think that's a good line for us to remember at all times in our lives. Um, the, the white supremacy culture definition is somewhat vague. Um, I'm not going to spend time discussing it. I have a list in here of various qualities of it from the UUA website. Perfectionism, sense of urgency, defensiveness, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, paternalism, either or thinking, power hoarding, fear of open conflict, individualism, progress is bigger or more, objectivity, and the right to comfort. Those are the characteristics as defined or as taught within Unitarian Universalism. It comes from the source, the characteristics of white supremacy culture from Dismantling Racism, a workbook for social change groups. Now, there are people who are totally opposed to racism who thinks that these words, these definitions, you know, can apply to other things, like you know, terrible management practices, for instance, Um, You know, I was in the Air Force. I took courses on management, and some of these things we were told to root out in the Air Force because they're just bad ways to be managers. Are they actually examples of white supremacy culture? That can be debated. Um, There was a letter, like I said, four letters. I want to focus on one letter a little bit that was written in reaction to this book, And and the title is, An Open Letter from White Unitarian Universalist Ministers Regarding the Gadfly Papers. This book was, as I said, released the day after the book was started to be handed out. At the time, signed by 300 people. So you're looking at uh, roughly 24 hours. We know some of the people who signed it did not read the book, because they said so on their blogs. Others did read the book. I have no idea what the numbers are of how many read it and how many didn't. Um they, they write as white ministers, we write today to make clear that this treatise does not represent us or our values, nor does it represent our vision for the ministry or for Unitarian Universalism. We deeply regret the harm this publication has already caused, and we know that this is another intentionally provocative incident that comes on the heels of months, years, generations of harm toward our colleagues of color. We also acknowledge the harm in the treaties directed towards LGBTQ plus people, religious educators, people with disabilities, and others, many of whom are also people of color at the intersection of multiple identities. Now that is a pretty serious charge. If you're going to accuse a fellow minister of intentionally seeking to harm all these different people, um, you do have to back that up. Or perhaps you shouldn't say it. Now, there's no question people felt harmed by the book because they've said so. Do you think he intended to do that? Was he writing out of ill will? Or was he writing out of an honest perspective of this is what I think needs to be changed because we're going down the wrong path? And people are going to disagree on that. It is interesting to me that some people who have pretty much stated clearly not only are they proud they didn't read the book, they will never read the book, signed such an accusation. That troubles me. If my wife, the person who means the most to me in the world, came to me and said, Doug, this guy wrote a book that has attacked me and harmed me. I want you to write or sign something denouncing it, I would still read it. I really would. I'm not saying that flippantly. Uh, If I'm going to uh, charge someone with being this deliberately provocative and hateful and attacking my wife, I will read the book first, even if my wife tells me it's harmful. That's, That's how I function, anyway. They also write, What, we wonder, would be possible if the creative energy of our leaders were freed up from reacting to instances of resistance and harm. Instead were channeled into imagining, building, and experimenting with practices that embodied the kind of liberation and wholeness that is the core yearning of our faith. So if you disagree, uh, this is an action of resistance and harm. Now, I don't know how many types of disagreement would get categorized that way, but once again, is he allowed to have a differing view Or does it fall into the category of resistance and harm as opposed to an honestly held different view? And again, this drives us to what is Unitarian Universalism? Do we allow a white perspective or not? They write, we recognize that a zealous commitment to logic and reason over all other forms of knowing is one of the foundational stones of white supremacy culture. Instead of accepting the frame of Reverend Eklov's Eklov's arguments and debunking them, we instead affirm the following. So first of all, there's this sentence that seems to say logic and reason are foundational to white supremacy culture. Now, there are some words inserted there to make it a little more vague, a zealous commitment to logic, in quotes, and reason, in quotes, over all other forms of knowing, So I'm not entirely sure what that actually means uh, because there are a lot of, you know, variables thrown into that sentence. But on the surface, it seems to say logic and reason are not good things, that they lead to white supremacy culture, or at least they're essential for it, foundational. And I personally, you know... Would take great umbrage at that because logic and reason are very important to me. It's one of the reasons I became a Unitarian Universalist, believe it or not, because I wasn't told to check my logic and reason at the door, that I was allowed to think for myself. <clears throat> and it, I've never heard logic and reason demeaned until I've read this letter in the Unitarian Universalist context. That doesn't mean other ways of thinking, that things like faith, and hope aren't important to other people or important to me in certain ways. But to say it's sort of like an either-or, and one of them supports white supremacy culture, that's a little disturbing to me. It's also disturbing because, in addition to our seven principles that we have as Unitarian Universalists, we also have six sources that we acknowledge. We don't talk about them as much. But the fifth of those six sources is humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. So are we now being told that one of our six sources is a source of white supremacy culture? I'm not sure, because again, I'm not sure what they're saying when they say a zealous commitment to logic and reason in quotes means I can also say, because I've been practicing Zen Buddhism for several years, that logic and reason is absolutely critical in Buddhist teaching. Um, It is one of the tools used by the Buddha to identify the causes and the cures to suffering. Buddhism is untouched by white supremacy culture for a couple thousand years to suggest that other cultures don't use logic and reason or find them foundational would also be an error. So again, I don't know who wrote the letter, and I don't know the exact intent, so I might be you know, speaking against something they're not saying. It's hard to know. But logic and reason are, at least to me, very important, and are acknowledged as one of our sources. So the question now comes, because I don't really want to spend more time on the controversy, but rather... What we do now with this controversy, uh, the question has been raised, the accusations have been made, we do have some really heated rhetoric. Heated rhetoric from ministers aimed at other ministers. I will only give you one example. These are publicly posted on blogs. They're not con- <laughs> they are not confidential words. Uh, one minister says, There is no need for anyone to read this bullshit, just as there is no need to read Klan propaganda to know that it is false. If colleagues who are directly impacted say the book is full of hate, trust them. Now, I have no doubt that this particular minister holds this view to be true. I have grave doubts that this is how we should be talking to each other. Obviously, she disagrees, or she wouldn't have put that on her blog. And this brings me to what I really think is the most important thing about all this. There is a view that anger is a good thing, that anger, righteous anger, justified anger gets things done, and that we we can and should at times function from anger. Not hate, but anger. Anger at injustices, anger at crime, anger at oppression. And this anger can be a positive thing. And maybe that's true, but anger is a very dangerous thing. And I've seen a lot of anger online. At least that's how it's coming across to me, reading the written word. And anger is going to end up hurting you. I I believe this. You can argue otherwise. Even anger coming from a place of love, even anger that strives to make positive change, is still, I believe, going to cause harm to you and to me. When we cradle this anger inside us and use that as the motivation, I think ultimately it does more harm than good. That's not to say that anger doesn't get things accomplished, it does. You know, there's this old saying, uh, you know, <laughs> violence never solved anything. Well, yeah, violence does solve things. Think about it. There, the Nazis don't run Germany now. But what is the cost of the violence that solved that one thing? If you've been to war, you know it does don't harm to you. Even if you're on the winning side, even if you survive, even if you've never been shot or wounded, you spend time where your very survival is dependent on being angry, being vigilant, and not trusting other people because they're trying to kill you. Warfare destroys the participants. Now, maybe a good thing came in that there's no Nazis in Germany and that violence did solve something. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have fought that war. Don't get me wrong. But to not acknowledge all the damage that still comes out of that is a dangerous thing. When we fight against racism and against oppression, and I can't speak from a perspective that many of you can because I'm a white male. So I get less oppression, less hate in this country than people from minority groups or females. or I, I know that, and I know that the history of our country is an endless series of horrific acts by white people, lying, cheating, stealing, killing, raping. It's horrific. You know, to be proud of all the things we've accomplished to get where we are today is to ignore an endless endless variety of horrific sins and horrible actions and you have to be aware of those and understand those and acknowledge those to close your eyes to that is a terrible thing but can we fight against racism today within Unitarian Universalism and have disagreements on what is the best way to go about that Reverend Eckloff, I believe, based on his actions that he has done, is opposed to racism. He's not a racist. He may have said things people find offensive. I do not think he's a racist. I do not think he's homophobic. He refused to perform weddings in the state of Washington until same-sex marriage was legal. That's not an action of a homophobe. Now, maybe he's just pretending. I can't get inside his head and his heart. I don't know. But... He has fought for things that would at least indicate that he's on track with you know the majority view in Unitarian Universalism, but he does have some things he thinks are being handled badly. And one can argue that he shouldn't have handed out books at General Assembly since he was the host minister uh, for General Assembly, being the minister at the Spokane Church. You can make that argument, but people hand out free stuff at General Assembly all the time and they hand out some wacky stuff at General Assembly. Um, Now he can be held to a higher standard, that's fine because he's a minister and I'm not going to defend him, I'm not going to defend his book what I am going to say is the reaction by so many ministers to another minister having different ideas, that's a little troubling to me And we say we want to be diverse within Unitarian Universalism, but I want to close with this. How many times have you ever heard in a Unitarian Universalist congregation or social gathering, have you heard anyone say, I'm a Republican? (laughs) I've never heard it. Now maybe you have, but I'm sure you haven't heard it nearly as many times as as you've heard I'm a Democrat. I hear Democratic meetings getting announced all the time in UU churches. It happens at my church. I've never heard the Republican gathering announced, ever. And this is not a I'm for Trump thing. Lots of Republicans don't like Trump. But from a political perspective, we're definitely on the left. There's not much diversity politically. What other issues do we really not care that much about diversity? For instance, abortion, immigration, gun ownership, environmentalism, military spending, health care, and of course the best way to acknowledge racism and work against it. How much of diversity of thought do we really want within our congregations? Or are there certain things you have to hold to on these various points? I've said this several times, you can come in and make a Unitarian Universalist case against abortion without quoting Bible verses or anything else, just talking about life. And you can have a different perspective on that, and you should be welcome in a Unitarian Universalist congregation. I've never heard anyone express that view, ever, in over ten years. You should be able to say... Something like, well, I do believe we can reinforce our borders or have some kind of control over immigration. I'm not for open borders. I'm not for separating families. But are we a nation of laws? Do we control immigration or not? And, you know, mostly that discussion has been largely silent, at least where I've been. And mostly we just tend to vilify ICE and police within our congregations, at least that's what I've been hearing, and there are bad actors in both, and there are bad policies. Most of those people are people just like you and me that are trying to get through the day, make a living, enforce the laws, whether they agree with them or not. There's all sorts of subtleties to these issues. How diverse do we want to be? Can you be a good UU and own a gun? There are plenty who would say no. Can you be a UU and serve in the military? People used to look at me very strangely when I went off to a leadership thing on the mountain. That's a retreat center where we had a leadership conference. And I was still in the Air Force at the time. And people would just say, you're in the military? And you're here? Like, wow, you can't do both. And then, you know, I had several say, thanks for changing my perspective on what it is to be in the military at the end of the thing. How much diversity do we allow? How much do we want? What is welcome and what isn't? We have to decide if we're going to be a religion for all people. Can we be a religion that allows radically different views? Or are we going to have a political and social creed that we all have to embrace to be here. I'm not pretending I have all the answers, but I do suggest very strongly that we have room for divergent views and that we should assume good intentions on those who disagree with us until we are demonstrated otherwise clearly. And finally, we should be willing to hold our own views up to critical analysis. We might find a better way once in a while by listening to others we might learn from listening to those who disagree with us. And from all this, I think we will find a bright hope for our future and a better path ahead than if we just close ourselves to a narrow path to which all must conform. Uh, We've been an anti-creedal religion. We don't require people to have a statement of faith to join. There's no creed that you must recite and believe to be here. Um and I think that's a good thing, and I think we need to work really hard in a day and age where our country is truly being divided. Politicians on both sides are doing that. There's power in hate and anger and fear. We need to overcome that and be able to overcome our disagreements, I think. So with that, I'm going to close and as I said, during the discussion, I, and those of you who've read the book, if you want to share your views, I am very interested in hearing what you think. Um, but I am not an apologist for the book. I'm not going to defend it. No, I, I, like I said, there are good points in it. There are weak points in it. There are points I'm not sure about. That's not why I'm speaking today. If you think I came here to defend the book, that's not the point. The point is... How diverse can we be, and how can we accept people who view things differently? So I look forward to our second hour, and thanks for coming out today.